Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Amen. All right, so this morning we are going to be in Romans 15. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or if you want to go there on your phones. Um, I have quite a bit of text, and so we're going to be jumping around quite, quite a bit. Um, so just roll with me. Everything should be up on the screen. Some of it should be on the screen, not everything, because I'm one of those people that keeps adding to the sermon till the moment I walk up on the stage. It just keeps coming to me. Um, yeah, I really am that bad. Makes everybody's life a mess. All right. So I'm going to do something a little different. Well, let me start here. With our church, um, a couple of y'all, we had a vision night um, a couple months ago. And on that vision night, we broke down kind of our vision for the next 10 years, and we took it and we broke it down in this timeline. And so the first timeline for us to start, the, our first strategies were like 90 days, what we're going to do. I'm not going to get into that right now, but I'm excited to show that to y'all soon because the other day I was going over, over the timeline with um, Elder Tony. Where's Elder Tony? Do y'all know who Elder Tony is? All right. That's Tony's new name. I'm going to keep saying it till y'all pick it up. All right. It's not Tony Johnson, not TJ. It's Elder Tony. All right. So, but we're going over it. And, um, and it's just amazing to me to look at all the stuff that God has done, like in those 90 days that we actually talked about. And so I want to share that stuff with y'all soon. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because along with this 90-day initiative, one of the things that we had initiative to do was to start turning our hearts towards the mission that we feel God has called us to, which is pretty much the zone one context, right? And so the first sermon series we did after Vision Night was we did, um, we did Faith, and now we're in a series called Amazing Grace. And the reason we pinpointed these two topics is because you can't do nothing without faith in Christ Jesus, right? That, that, that's absolutely silly for a church. And then when it comes to grace, grace powers everything we do as believers. And so I'm hoping that these words that, we're, that I'm going to be preaching to you this morning um, do much to make a lot of Christ, but also to do a lot to make, um, to bring unity with your neighbor in the church. Y'all with me? All right. It's, 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 it's vanity for us to talk about mission as a church, but us to lack biblical unity. You get where I'm coming from? So it's an important topic. It's not about just like, hey, let's be friends or whatever, but it's, it's deeper than that. Um, and it, and it's, it's embedded in the mission of God. So I want to start with verse, um, I'm going to read Romans 1 to you really quick. You don't have to jump. You can stay where you're at in Romans 15, but let me start off with this just to kind of get us rolling. Um, Romans 1 says this. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was, declared to, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, now listen to this in verse 5, says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. This scripture is important for where we're going to go because when you look at Romans, Paul 
is very much dealing with the wall of hostility, hostility that exists between the Jews and the Gentiles, right? It's, it's, it's not taken out of context to bring that into modern society and deal with the walls of hostility we have today. But he's dealing with that particular thing. So he's talking about this new thing that has, been ha that ha that has happened through Christ, and he's leading them through this conversation of what this now looks like to walk hand in hand, right? With Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, all right? And so that verse is important because a lot of times when you're, when you're going through text or you're studying the scriptures, you may jump to chapter 14, but if you go back to the first chapter, it tells us a lot about where the writer's going. And he's telling us, he's talking about obedience. Um, he, let me read verse five again. It says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, right? And, and it says, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So there's this thing where Paul is like, listen, we, we're rolling. We have a mission. God has called us to something. We're set apart for something. And it includes all of y'all who belong to Jesus Christ. So what I want you to take from that as we go into Romans 15, I want you to understand that you're actually set apart for something. You are called to something. And it is about your obedience and faith. Your Christian walk is about you being obedient to what Christ Jesus has called you to do. All right? That's a part of being a Christian, a very significant part of it. Y'all with me so far? It seems simple enough, but we float away from this stuff and start rewriting the script all the time. And so sometimes when I'm preaching, I feel like people are like, yeah, man, we get that. We heard this a million times. But I'm like, if we all knew it that well, then church would be very easy to do. And it's not. So we have to stay close to the scriptures and keep reminding ourselves. So let me jump over. I'm going to go over to Romans 15, but I'm going to start with verse 7. We're going to be in Romans 15, 1 through 7. And I'm going to read, I'm going to read the whole chapter through um, so you can see where we're at. So it says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Good stuff, you agree? All right, so verse 7, he says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So one of the things I want you to be thinking about as we go through this text today is like, how did Christ welcome you, right? When you came to Jesus Christ, I want you to literally ponder this for a minute. How did Christ actually welcome you into his kingdom? Where were you at when that happened? Like, were you, were you just like sitting in a service and you're like, man... I did all my calculations. This sounds really sweet. Like, I think I'm going to go ahead and roll with them. <laughs> Was it just a wise intellectual decision for you? Right? Or were you in this place where you were broken and helpless? Right? Where the only thing that could save you was the grace of God. Right? Were you, were you stranded and lost and hopeless. And then Jesus comes along and for some reason which baffles your mind set you free. Right? 
That's the gospel. That's what we know is the gospel. And it's what we should know is our experience. It's something to ponder, right? Because it unlocks this whole text for us. Not that your experience does, but if your experience lines up with what the gospel proclaims, then it unlocks this text. That's why verse 7 is so important for us to jump to, right? And one thing that we know is that one thing we have in common as believers is that we all start in the same place in the story, right? It doesn't matter how strong your testimony is or if it's awesome or whatever. If you're like Paul and you got saved on the road to Damascus, that's absolutely amazing and it's God glorifying. But it doesn't matter if you were, you know what I'm saying, you know, khakied up. I'm sorry. I'm making jokes about khakis again. I'm just playing. I like khakis anyway. It doesn't matter if you're in an office doing whatever you're doing and you seem to have it all right and you're dotting all your I's, crossing your T's and everything else, you still were just like Paul. You're still in the same predicament he was in. You're lost. You can't save yourself. Your sin separated you from God. You get where I'm coming from? So we all share that. We all are brothers and sisters in that thing right there. In that lostness, we all have agreement on that. And if we don't have agreement, then we, then we pull down the gospel. Let me read Romans 3.23 to you. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many who have sinned? And verse 24 says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2 says it like this. To me, Ephesians 2 is like, you know, like with the net going, telling you off kind of deal. Like the way it says it, right? It's like somebody like, they need to straighten you out. Like if you think that your sin isn't rotten, and you just saved yourself. Ephesians 2 kind of tells you off as gracefully as possible. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Dead in our trespasses. And he just comes and makes us alive, right? It says, by grace you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated us and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Once again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's gangster. It's beautiful. And this is not your own doing. So the way we started... When verse 7 says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, and we think about our testimony, we think about our story, and we think about Ephesians 2 in this, the emphasis is on this mercy and this grace. It's not on the person, how wrecked they are, how much of a mess they are, none of that stuff. It has very much to do with your story and who Jesus is to you, right? I'm going to work some of this out as we go. But it has nothing to do with you. You got welcome and you didn't deserve to get welcome. Not only were you just a stranger, but you actually were an enemy of God and you were welcome into his fold. You get where I'm coming from? 
So like, I want you to take that, and I want you to place that in context of relating with people and how you deal with people and you function. If you were to mirror what Christ did to you and you start dealing with people in that same sense, it's kind of hard for people to offend you, isn't it? It's a reasonable statement. Dwight Moody says this. He says, grace means undeserved kindness. It is the gift of God to man the moment he sees he is unworthy of God's favor. I'm going to read that again. Grace means undeserved kindness. It is the gift of God to man the moment he sees he is unworthy of God's favor. We are saved by grace. Until, until you know you don't deserve it, grace is not even a thing for you. You can't even grasp it. You can't even grasp it. Let's go into Romans 15, start at verse 1. just want you to hold on to verse 7 as we work through this. So, Verse 1 says this right here. It says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. I'm going to read verse 2 and 3 also. It says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, for Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Um, this text is dynamic. And the reason it's dynamic is this right here, because... I don't know about you, but when I read it and it says, we who are strong and have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, I, I want to like fill that in with all kind of meanings kind of, of of my own. But like if you go back and you read through the text, like you read through Romans 13 and you rooms, matter of fact, let me read this to you. It's Romans 14.1. This will help you out with how this text is describing weakness, right? It says, as for the, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. I've been mean, trying to tell my wife that about this thing with these vegetables she keeps pushing, but she don't know. Anyway, I'm strong with the carrot cake. She's weak. Anyway, anyway we'll talk about it later. Verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed, welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he, is, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So what's, what's kind of crazy about this text is that when you read, like, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the felons of the weak, you can't really place what weak means and what strong means until you go to the rest of this chapter, right? And so if you read the chapter, it's talking about food and vegetables, and it's talking about days, like who esteems a holiday over another, right? It almost seems trivial. It is the conversation, and there's a bit of irony with it that I just want to point out. The whole conversation is not about holidays and food, right? It's about how you love your brother or love your neighbor, right? That's what the conversation is really about. But it's kind of ironic that we're using a holiday because it seems silly that people would be separated over a holiday, doesn't it? But I'm going to ask you just by a show of hands, how many of y'all have been confronted by somebody else who's like, yo, man, I just don't think it's Christian to mess with that holiday? Right? I've done it. I've had the same thought. But here's the Bible right now saying like, yo, this is not something you waste your time trying to disqualify your brother or sister with the law. 
right? It's, talking, it's calling us to be committed to the law of Christ, which is the law of love, right? So it's not, you don't guide yourself by, by rules and regulations. And I'm going to work that out for you too. Because I think people get scared when they hear statements like that. They're like, well, hold on, what, what do we do? If we don't have lines and stuff and everything to jump around, how do we actually function? We're going we're gonna to get to that. But it uses these things, food and holidays. Seems trivial. You, you can't even comprehend the reasons people have come in here and like left church and be like, I'm done. I am done. Like, I'm through with it or whatever. I saw you throw a tic-tac in your mouth while you are on stage, and that is not the place. And they'll be like, mean it to the depths of their soul. Like, and I'm, 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 I'm being silly, but it's literally that silly. And I'm like, well, we can work through that. You don't think what God is doing in here is worth us working through this? Like, you willing to just uproot and just rip everything up because, well, just talk to me. No, ain't no more talking, brother. I don't do Tic Tacs. I'm out. Like, it's, it's that crazy, but it's real. It really happens like that, right? And so, the strong and the weak, what that is, is it's something you got to look into deeply, right? And the thing that's ironic about it is, be, is that we shift in these different things. Like, I would like to just be like, man, I hit that mark or whatever. Like, I definitely don't care about vegetables. I'm strong. But some days, I'm the one doing the judging, right? So this thing, when it's talking about us dealing and bearing with the failings of the weak, it's talking about us having self-care as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because one day we may show up or whatever, and I may be just strong in my faith, strong in remembering the grace of God that saved me. I may wake up with that this morning, and you may show up in the office condemned feeling lower than low, right? Mad at everybody because the way they move and they groove and everything else. And you may need me to actually encourage you in Jesus Christ and the cross. You get where I'm coming from? And then the next day, the whole situation may switch around. So the conversation is talking about days and we're talking about vegetables and everything else or whatever, but we're talking about how you love your neighbor. Galatians 6 says it's the same thing a little bit different. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Right? Don't slit their throat with the rule. Right? Don't slit the, their throat with, oh, you're not doing it good enough. It's not that you can't have that conversation, but you do it in the love and gentleness that Christ exhibited to you, right? Because we, after all, were saved undeservingly while we were yet in our trespasses. You get how verse 7 means everything in this text? How were you welcoming? That's how you welcome your brother and sister. That's how you rationalize when you maybe see them doing something you don't like. That's how you do it, right? If Christ can look at us in our sinfulness and our wretchedness, wretchedness, then we can tolerate somebody not quite meeting the mark or even having a little bit of stinking thinking that we think is not really on point. We can actually tolerate having patience with them for the best opportunity to have that conversation, even if it takes a bit, right? In light of the cross, I don't think that's a big ask. First Thessalonians 5 says this, 
says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Verse 14 says this, and we urge you, brothers, admonish, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So let's look at verse 15. See that no one repays e uh, anyone evil for evil. If we were actually to function in that, number one, we would all be in bad shape because everybody, everybody in this whole room is going to violate us, violate each other at some point where we feel like offended, offset, hurt, whatever the case may be, we're going to be offended because we're humans. It's just what we simply do, even on our best day, right? So this can't even exist. Community and unity in the body can't even exist outside of the grace and mercy that we've seen exemplified in Christ and us actually living it out. It doesn't exist. It just simply won't happen. We can have a whole bunch of shallow relationships and everything and do a fist bump but never actually love each other and, and we can play games like that, but this is calling for something else. No one repay evil for evil. So if Christ was to walk this out and repay evil for evil, we'd be in bad shape, wouldn't we? Right? If we were just caught dead in our trespasses and there wasn't grace extended to us, then it's a done deal, right? I don't know about you, that, 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 that puts the fear of God on me. Like, that's something for us to carry into our relationships every day. Not condemned, but the gratefulness of God freeing us of our sin through Christ Jesus, right? That's something we keep close. It's something we keep close because it's supposed to have implications on how we move every day. I was with Elder Tony the other day, and he said, um, we were just meeting in the morning, he said, uh, he said, yeah, Jay, he said, faith without works is dead, but work without faith is sin. And it, the statement meant so much to me because I had this crazy long list of things to do that day. And I was not thinking about God when I had to do them. Right? I was just going to go run and try to conquer the world. And he caused me to repent, and he caused me to put God before that whole list, and my whole day went a complete different way. The things, I had some phone calls that I was scared to make, to be honest with you, that I just didn't want to do them. I just was like, man, you know, I'm just like, I'm about to go take a nap on the bridge or something. I just wasn't with it, right? But it helped me. It helped me because it reminded me, like, Jay, we don't walk by, by sight. We, we walk by faith. Keep that close. That's what he was telling me. And that's what I'm telling you. You keep the gospel, right? You keep this idea of grace and mercy that we receive, what we receive through Christ Jesus. You hold it dear to your heart because it's, it, it, it's going to be the fragrance that's attached to every action you do, right? It doesn't matter where you work at. It doesn't matter if you work at McDonald's at the drive-thru. It will follow you there. It will have implications on the people that you serve every day. It will have implications on how you feel as you're serving and working through hard days, right? I'm not even supposed to be here, right? I feel foolish when I complain about a bad day. I got saved going to murder somebody. I'm not even supposed to be here. That's the statement. What am I going to complain about? How foolish does it sound? I'm not even supposed to be here, yo. It doesn't matter. What do you say? It doesn't matter how it's going to go. It, I'm not supposed to be here. But I'm foolish enough to forget. 
I still end up being weak often and need somebody strong to put me back in place, all right? So verse 2, he says, let me start from one. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. Verse 2 says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Let me read something to you. It's Luke 10, 25 through 37. This is the Good Samaritan story. I feel like I actually read this every time I preach. I don't know if it's true or not, but I don't care if it is. I do it on purpose. Like there's certain texts I bring you back to all the time because when I talk about remembering Christ and keeping it close, there's certain scriptures that kind of, they put you in a story and they help you with what you were supposed to do. You know what I mean? And for me, this is one of my go-to ones that, you know, when I'm trying to figure out, when I'm acting like the lawyer in this story and I'm going, God, like, who's my neighbor? Which I'm really asking, like, who do I have to be nice to? Um, it sets me straight. So let me read this to you. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to, uh, to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit in eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound, him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. In verse 36, Jesus says to him, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So the lawyer, he answered the question correctly, right? He says, you shall, love your, you shall love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So he answers correctly. He's asking the right question but he doesn't have the love of God in his heart, right? Because he's, what he's doing is he's looking for a law. He's looking for a rule so he can do enough. So you can actually, you can actually hold very tight to some very noble rules and be a million miles away from the love of God, right? So when we talk about in 1 John, when we talk about the Pharisee coming into the temple, and he runs off his resume and he says, thank you, God, that I pay my tithes, that I give to the poor. He has an impressive resume. 
but it doesn't give them, get them any closer to Christ at all. You get where I'm coming from? So he's at, this is what's in the heart of the lawyer when he asks the question. And Jesus removes, he, 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 he takes the, if you look at what Jesus does, he takes the weight from who's your neighbor and puts it on what it is to be a neighbor. I don't know if you caught that, right? So he said, who is my neighbor, is what the question. He said, who is my neighbor? But look at the way Jesus answers this, right? He asked him, he says, which of these three do you think prove to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So the conversation goes from identifying who the neighbor is that I need to be nice to to who do you think is the neighbor, you go and do likewise, right? So let me work that out for you. It has nothing to do with where people are at. The conversation is not about other people. When we talk about Christ-likeness and we talk about Christian responsibility, we're talking about what you're called to do, right? So this example is a person who is a stranger on the floor, beaten, beaten and bloody. Right? He didn't say that guy's your neighbor. He talked about him being a neighbor to that guy. Do you get where I'm coming from? So when we look at this text up here, when we go to Romans 15, he says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. This is something that we walk in. We're neighbors. You understand what I'm saying? Let me tell you what the Google definition for neighbor is. It says a person living, uh, living near or next door, um, a person or place in relation to others like near or next. Um, and it says this, which I thought was crazy, that Google says this because, you know, it's a fight for us to get this in the church often. It says any person in need of one's help or kindness. It says after biblical use, and it says, quote, love thy neighbor as thyself. Even the quote it uses talks about loving somebody else, but they phrase it as any person in need of one's help or kindness, or whatever. Like, there's this thing like, God is asking us, like, are you a neighbor? And when he talks about neighbor, you can see it in the definition, it's referring to proximity, closeness. Are you willing to step into the problem of somebody's brokenness, right? Because the whole context of this scripture, when it's talking about food and days and the division that happens, is that we're judging somebody as broken as not being up to par. And then falling into this thing where we separate instead of building each other up, instead of having endurance to love each other, instead of having patience with each other, right? So we run away. We don't look for proximity. So when we talk about Christ-likeness, we're talking about when something's broken, when there's a breach, we're the repairers of the breach. That's one of the beautiful names when we become a, a follower of Christ that it gives to us. Royal priesthood, repairers of the breach, right? While the world runs away from, what, what, from what's broken because it's problematic, we actually run to it. That's, that's why, that's why the, the first part of Romans in verse 1, when I started, why it's so important, because he starts off with the words set apart. He needs them to know as soon as he talks to them. I need y'all to jump out of this whole Jew versus Gentile in this wall of hostility. We playing another game now. 
We're actually set apart. We're followers of Jesus Christ. We're doing a new thing. You get where I'm coming from? I know what the world is doing, but we're doing a new thing. Do you get where I'm coming from? Are y'all with me? So this is what he's working out with them. It's proximity. Verse 3 says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. You know what he's saying? He's saying that Christ... He stepped in the game and he took it all, right? What was meant for us, he stepped right in the front and took the whole deal, right? He let the clip get unloaded on him. He denied himself and stepped in. He humbled himself, right? The king of kings, he comes from the throne. He leaves his throne, becomes a man. The creator becomes the creation. He humbles himself into sinful flesh. He takes on our likeness, our sins. The sins of mankind are repulsive. But he takes on, takes on our likeness. He becomes one of us. He, 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 Isaiah 53 talks about how he was just beaten. He wasn't esteemed. Right? He didn't even come out here or whatever and, you know what I'm saying, and, and come look like Ryan Gosling or nothing. You know what I'm saying? Who's Ryan Gosling? He's an either actor. All right. Brad Pitt. All right? He could have chose Brad Pitt. All right? He could have chose Idris Elba or whatever, some diesel, but he was somebody people didn't esteem. Right? That's what the Bible tells us. He humbled himself. He lowered himself down to save us. It's the chief neighbor. Right? Saves us by grace. We don't deserve it. It's not owed to us. None of that. We are habitually rebellious, wretched, depraved people. Nevertheless, Grace and mercy brings him off his throne for us, right? Spurgeon says it like this right here. Says, he took the most trying place in the whole field of battle. He stood where the fray was the hottest. He did not, to, he did not seek to be among his disciples as a king is in the midst of his troops, guarded and protected in the time of strife, but he exposed himself to the fiercest part of all conflict. What Jesus did that should, we, sh that should we who are his followers do, no one of us considering himself in his own interest, but all of us considering our brethren and the cause of Christ in general. He took on the reproaches. He stepped dead into it, right? Took up residence in Mary, like he literally entered in for real. Romans 13 says this. It says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another, loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love 
is the fulfilling of the law. I don't know about you, it confronts me. It puts me in attention, right? It puts me in attention. It puts me in attention of how often I qualify what love is based in, 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 in I, and I come up with this idea apart from Christ. And it ends up not being love at all, right? When my wife gets on my nerves or whatever, which is hardly ever, like, <laughs> never, it's like, it's one time, anyway. Um, my reactions aren't always godly. I feel justified in them, though. I have all the best excuses in the world. But I'm having that conversation so apart from Christ, I'm completely in my flesh with it. But it says, it talks about dying to yourself, not considering your own interests, like esteeming others higher than yourself. That's a work that only the Spirit of God can do through you. You aren't good enough to actually pull this off. This isn't a Hallmark card and let's go be super good and nice to each other. What he is talking about is talking about lowering yourself for others to walk on top of you to the king if, if need be. That's what it's talking about, right? He's talking about when you think about Christ-likeness and, re, and, and, and being like the father, he's talking about buying houses in neighborhoods where you'll never ever gave, gain equity for the sake of that community. Seems foolish to the world. It's beautiful to Christ Jesus. You get where I'm coming from? Now, I don't know about you. I like equity. All right? That's not to condemn anybody. Like, for some people, their stewardship is like, yo, God wants you getting money and getting blessed and making decisions like that. Right? For other people, it's like, no, that's not what I'm asking you to do. Right? So I don't want nobody running around feeling condemned by it, but I'm just saying God plays it completely different. John Piper says this. He says, the gospel of Christ's suffering in our place is the great ground, great ground of our hope. And this hope fills us with joy, and joy sustains self-denying behaviors of love. I'm going to read verse 4. I'm going to start to wrap it up. It says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. It says, may the God of our endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with, with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he brings his own home with verse 7 right there. He says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. He is addressing people right now who are actually complete enemies of each other, right? And here's the problem. If you're an enemy of each other, then you're an enemy of God. There is no way to actually um, do this thing where you're like, I love God a whole lot. I just can't stand people. Right? A lot of famous people have even said, made major quotes like that. And it sounds really great to people in the world. Like, people are like, man, you know, like, yeah, I get it. I get it. I understand it. 
Dealing with people is not easy. It just simply isn't. But the thing is, is that even when you look at this scripture and it talks in the frame of time, when it says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, and it talks about glorifying God with one voice, this is talking about something we are set apart into that echoes through the halls of eternity. You understand where I'm coming from? Like, what you do with your neighbor right now means something eternally. Like, the way you love them, like if you believe the gospel, or if you actually have rewritten this other gospel that lets you, like, slit your neighbor's throat over food, over arguments, over different things, that doesn't mean we don't have conflict. It means that you undergird everything with patience, right? We may not come to the point of agreeing today, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and that trumps everything. Let's let the Spirit do its work, and let's give it some time, right? I may not be able to roll with you for a minute, but just give me a little, give, give us a minute. But we're not going to undo what God has brought together because he's the king overall. Do you get where I'm coming from? It has hope in the midst of a, hopeless situations, right? Where the, where the word tells us that people are going to see our love for each other and they're going to glorify God. This is important because it undoes the gospel. It, it, it's trying to snuff out, it's the tactic of the enemy to snuff out the glory and beauty of God. And one of his tactics that he uses to wage war at Christ Jesus is through the separation of his church. Right in the room. We can be singing kumbaya together all day long. But if you don't love your neighbor, then we're dimming the light. You get where I'm coming from? So it's something to take very, very serious. And it means something very personally for you. It's not just about, like he said, he took it from being about the neighbor to about you. You go and do likewise. That's what I expect you to do. I expect you to do, pe do that to people who you don't know. I expect for you to spend resources on people you've never even met. What? Put them up in a hotel? You left money, if it costs you any more money or whatever, make sure you just hit me up, I'll take care of the bill. You don't even know this guy. It doesn't make sense to the world. It doesn't make sense. But when we think about grace, being undeserved, when we think about the cost, when we think about Jesus on the cross next to the thief, right? Who, who out of his own mouth says, I've, this is right for me to be up here. I put in work to be up here. I earned this. And then Jesus goes, homie, I'm going to see you in heaven in a minute, brother. Right? When the thief is like, Lord, mercy on me. Bring me into your kingdom. And he grants it like that. Like that. But what in the world? We're going to walk around holding the fences to people because they don't meet the mark for us? How crazy is that? I'm going to wrap this sermon right there. I just, I wanted to preach that for our church this morning. So I think it's important. It's important for me. It's important for all of us. And I don't like that Satan playing with our church. And I don't like him playing with what God is doing through our church. Um, Y'all stand. We're about to take communion, but when we take communion, we're going to have somebody up here 
um, that you can come pray with if you need to pray. But like, if you are dealing with offense, like if that's something that you're struggling with, for like, come pray with somebody. Come ask them to pray for you, right? Sometimes when your arms get tired, you get tired of boxing and all that. Sometimes you gotta call somebody else in and let them just start fighting for you. And that's a part of what we're doing, like, right? Bearing with each other, bearing with each other when we're weak, the strong holding up the weak, right? That works vice versa. Let me pray really quick. God, Lord, we just praise you. We thank you for this day, Father. God, we cannot do none of this without you. We don't assume that we can. We're not trying to separate who's weak and who's strong in the room. Um, all of us are the weak in this text, often. Um, and it's only by your grace and it's only by your mercy and it's by the spirit of um, your, your Holy Spirit, Father Lord, that we even, even can venture into what strong is in your word. Um, so God, we, we, play, we pray and we plead right now for you, to, for you to grace us, for you to be with us, Father Lord, for you to let us not float away from your, your saving grace, Father Lord, this idea of um, joy that comes from knowing the work that Christ did on the cross. Father, Lord, that when we were lost, the good news of knowing that we don't have to do anything, that you did it all for us. That, that you actually took our judgment on yourself. That the wrath of God that awaited us for our sins and our rebelliousness was actually let out on Jesus on the cross. And in return, was what, what waited for us was his righteous resume, justification, redemption. You walking with us every day, all day, through sanctification, through faith, through, through, through materializing what is invisible and making it visible as we walk and we follow you. And not only have you redeemed us, you've given us the gospel and the good news that we can proclaim and preach and it does to people what you did to us on its own not our fancy words not our clever sermons and our wordplay none of that stuff but your gospel the good news of your son Jesus who comes to save sinners transgressors who sacrificed himself to see us made whole, to bring us back in a relationship with you, Father. Lord, we, we, what can we say but thank you over and over and over? It'll never get old. And then we forget to be thankful and it's just not a big deal and we don't feel all Christian-y. Your mercy and love still waits for us. So God, we just, we, we praise you. We thank you, Father. We thank you for mercy. That you would save a wretch like us, Father, and call us something different. I can't believe you would dare call us righteous. I can't believe you would call us beautiful. I can't believe you would say, I want you to be my, my son. I can't believe you would say something like that. But you do. God, forgive us for forgetting what you've done for us. Forgive us for not loving our neighbor, Father Lord. Forgive, forgive us for not being a neighbor and just trying to meet the mark and just trying to 
get the rules right, just do enough. I pray, Father Lord, that everybody's legs are knocked from under them this morning and they find themselves on a new foundation in Christ, standing super stronger than ever in you. We don't want to stand on sand, Lord. We don't want to stand on sand, Father. So we praise you and we thank you, Father Lord, for giving us your word, for leaving you, that we can hear the good news, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. If you're in here this morning, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, my plea is um, that if you feel like God is drawing you this morning, that you come up and you pray with somebody up front. Um, we just want to hear what God is doing in your heart and walk you through it. Um, we don't want to make an example out of you. Everybody in here that's a believer, we've all had to stand before the Lord, confess our sin, and, and step into that place. And so we would love to do that with you. We'd love for you to be a part of our family. Um, we're going to take communion right now. This is something we do as a family. Um, it's not just tradition for us. The Bible says that um, Jesus' body was broken, right? And the drink represents his blood, and the bread represents his body being broken for our sins and iniquities. It's something we do as a family. It's a family affair. Um, but the Bible says if you are not a believer that you shouldn't do it. Um, so we don't take that nonchalantly. We don't want you to take it nonchalantly either. Um, and it's not because we want to separate you out. We actually want you to take it with us. Like we would love for you to become a part of our family. But our responsibility is to make sure we proclaim that before we take communion. Um, so this is something we do as a family. Watch us. I hope it like when I first started going to church or whatever, like I literally was going to church because I needed a place to plot how to murder somebody. And I was going to be quiet. And as I watched the Christian folks do their Christian-y things, I came in and I was mocking them and laughing at them. And then after a while, I got jealous of them because I was just like. Man, why are they jumping around praising the Lord like that? But I looked at the things they did or whatever, and after a while it just, it moved me to this jealousy. And I'm like, God, I don't, I don't feel alive. They seem like they're alive. Like, who are they worshiping to? What are they seeing? I don't see anything. And um, so it stirred me to jealousy. So um, I pray if you don't know them, I pray that when you see us in the hallway and you see us laughing and you see us loving each other, that you're like, man, I want to be a part of that. And we are like, we want you to be a part of that, right? We want you to be a part of that. We're like, we will welcome you into that. So it's good news if you come and tell us or come pray with somebody and say, what y'all got going? What's, what's up with y'all? What's the deal? You know what I mean? Like, please come ask stuff like that, all right? So we love you, all right? Love you, church.